podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the 10-12, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference. I'm your host, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us on this Monday. Here with us today, it's the the Monday team, as it should be, back together again. Andy Mitz. How's it going? It's great to be back. And Jamie Steyer. Ah, I don't get as much speaking time this week, but I suppose I'll live... We're happy to have you back, Andy. Why don't, what, wait, what, what, hold on, hold on. Oh, now I get the joke. I was like, yeah, what do you mean because I was gone last week. Now I see. That's it. all right. I, I got plenty of speaking time when Jamie wasn't here, so I'm good. Andy takes plenty of speaking time when Jamie is here, so it's not like it's anything. <laughs> Fair. You know, I get that a lot. I, I tend to talk a lot, apparently. I mean, this is a podcast. There's not a whole lot of like hand gestures and visual cues that we can do. Honestly. Well, I do. Whether you like can or not, I'd still do. We can see them. And that's I all saying, that I, matters. I, I don't think that the listeners really want us to stream this live on Twitch. So we can just forget about that. Uh, mm, maybe Ooh. one day. Maybe one day. Maybe one day. Far in the future. Many, 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 many. When Stitch is no longer even a thing, we'll be like, yeah, we're getting on Stitch. Okay. Let's let's kick off this show. We've got a lot of things to talk about. Uh, but let's kick the show off with the biggest news in the Big 12 period. Uh, Baylor women's basketball coach Kim Mulkey is officially leaving the Bears for LSU. She's moving back to the state that she grew up in. She was a Louisiana Tech alum. I grew up in Louisiana, was a Louisiana Tech assistant for years before she became the head coach at Baylor. Uh, so Kim Mulkey is going home. She's headed home. Uh, after 21 years as the head coach for the Baylor Bears, three national championships, 12 Big 12 titles, including the last 11 in a row. I am I, I would sit here and count how many Elite Eights and Final Fours. It's a lot. Let me put it this way. It's a lot. It's quite a few. She hasn't done worse than a, than a Sweet 16 since uh, 2008. It's a long time. Uh, this is it's not surprising that the rumors have been kind of circulating since midweek last week. About Wednesday, Thursday, we started to see some things pop up. This might be happening. Uh, but it became official on Sunday. Kim Mulkey is off to LSU and Baylor. Uh, is in the hunt for a brand new women's basketball coach. A, a hunt that, oh man, that. Uh, let, let, let's just start here. Jamie, you are our uh, our resident women's basketball expert. Um, how, just like, how surprised are you with this? Well, pardon me while I wipe away the tears. I'm not exactly shutting right now <laughs> as an Iowa State fan <laughs> looking to, you know, be able to to the top of the big 12 but no i mean it is it, it is extremely surprising to have someone leave after the amount of time they mulkey's been at baylor and the success she's had there um clearly had to have been a heck of an offer she's i mean she's always said she's 
it, it was in interviews for years. She's always called Louisiana her home. Um, but it, it's not, it can't just be that. I mean, they, they're, th- they've got to be throwing a bunch of money at her. I think the first little peak I'm seeing here is something like two and a half mil annually, which I don't even know how that compares to what she was making at Baylor, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's wild when Kim Mulkey is basically all I've ever known in the big 12, you know, she's been there almost the entire time that I've been living in Ames. She's been there longer than my mom's been coaching at Iowa state, but it's, it's wild. I mean, that's, she's kind of synonymous with the big 12. She and Bill have been there for so long, both of them and always um, been kind of constants there. And so it's, it's pretty crazy. Um, I'll be extremely intrigued to see what happens in the coming days. Because as we all know, the transfer situation this year is is wild. And especially to have this happen fairly late in the game um, definitely impacts what's going to happen. And the other part of it is I was saying before we started recording, I couldn't even begin to speculate on who they're going to go after. Um, they're, they're in a weird spot um, as far as that goes. But yeah, it, it leaves a lot of really interesting unknowns to kind of be fleshed out over the next week or so. But it'll be really, really odd not to have the Mulkey in the Big 12. Wait, wait, Jamie, you're not even going to venture a guess so that you can just magically uh, get see, it right? Like if I could, if I could, I would. I can't even try. I, I really can't. I Like, it's... <laughs> Just the the point we're at in like the coaching carousel is that most everyone's found their spot by now, you know, like this is a little bit late in the game to have these kind of things be happening and not, you know, anywhere where it's like unwieldy, they'll find someone, but it's, it's so unexpected that I couldn't even begin to speculate like what do you do go ask sherry cole to come out of retirement like what where do you go from here i mean here's the deal it's not like they just lost a coach you lost a coach who's won three national championships you lost the coach who won baylor their first national championship in a sport like period okay this isn't just going and finding an up-and-coming assistant or a a a nice mid-major coach and you don't have like, – look, Baylor's got money. They got more money than you think they do. I don't know that they have Texas money where they can just go out and swipe Vic mm-hmm. Schaefer from an SEC school. Like, you just got your coach. And by the way, as ISD reported, I expected to earn $2.5 million at LSU. She was making roughly $2.27 million a year at Baylor, according to USA Today. So it's not like she got some massive pay bump. Like, And I understand what – this would make her, I think, higher paid than Ari Emma, if I remember correctly, which is, you know – this is ridiculous how much those two people win. I'm curious the point of like, they didn't give her what she wanted. What did she want? And what is LSU giving her? Like what, besides the money, which isn't much in, in, you know, in comparison, what is LSU giving her that Baylor wouldn't or didn't? I I get the, I have never met Kamoki in my life. All I know of Kamoki is what I see of her coaching wise, what I see of her in press conferences before and after and, and comments made. And I understand the comments she's made about Louisiana's home, but I don't take Kim Mulkey as the the sentimental gonna run off to Louisiana to LSU just just because the state's been calling me home. Like I'm not sure I buy her being 
quite that sentimental of a woman that you're just going to take a job at a school that hasn't been to a Final Four since 2008, hasn't made it past the Sweet 16 since then, um, is fine. I mean, obviously she's Kim Mulkey. She'll make LSU good. But I just, I, I am really curious what has led to this. Well, and to your point, I mean, she doesn't give off vibes to me as someone looking from the outside of, you know, she wants to go and undertake the challenge of rebuilding a new program. Like, she seemed like she was very comfortable with the program she had built. The fact that she had built Baylor into a national powerhouse in women's co- in women's college basketball, you know, it, I mean, based off of what happened this year and some of the comments that kind of went around from her that kind of seemed to be vaguely directed towards, you know, the administration, I'm wondering if there was some tension that just hasn't been reported on um, that made this a little bit easier I also just kind of given some of the, the headlines that they've, you know, that, that there have been in terms of directed her and some of the comments that she's actually made publicly, if there maybe wasn't as big of a push on Baylor's part to keep her, even though, you know, you're giving up a national championship head coach, like it may be one of those things, every single coach, no matter, no matter how good they are, can well, can wear out their welcome with donors or with, or with administration or whatever. I'm not saying that I have any inside knowledge of any of that kind of stuff happening, but just Given the general vibe around the program, it seemed like there was definitely some tension. Now, if that tension was enough to kind of overcome, you know, the fact that she's, you know, giving up her national championship caliber program and barely getting a pay pay bump, like there definitely has to be something else there because it doesn't seem like there was enough tension and we didn't hear enough about tension in the program that would cause, you know, her to just flee for, you know, whatever reason. The the one thing I will say, though, is if she really did want to go back to Louisiana, then that is really the only school that you would go back to Louisiana for. Um, you know, being in the SEC, like, there is no other big college women's basketball programs there. And so going to the flagship school in the state, if that was her goal was at some point to go back home, you know, then it would make sense that that's where she would do it. Yeah, I mean, she was never going to be going to the alma mater of Louisiana Monroe. Like, that's just not the right. level that she's going to yeah. be coaching at. That's And she she has to have some significant confidence that she's going to have a hell of a team this year because she's not, like you said, she ain't going into any rebuilding year. Like, she has to be thinking maybe some of her girls are going to follow her. Maybe she can develop some of the players they've got at LSU. Like, there's no, oh, you know, we'll figure it out. Like, she's going in there expecting to win a lot. Well, that's the other thing, too, is, like, I think this year's unique circumstances because of the grant mm-hmm. of the, you know, waiver, like, just blanket waiver for everybody, she can go pretty much pick out whoever she wants from the transfer portal and play with them immediately. And if, and if she can, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge on the way out the doors, you know, convince some of her girls to say, hey, you know, I'm not going to be there any longer. You may, you may want to think about going somewhere else. And, oh, hey, guess what? I have room for you over at LSU. Like, I'm not saying that she did that, but I wouldn't be surprised if that was at least implied. You know, I mean, it, it, it wouldn't be complete. you know, it, it would be normal, I think, for what college basketball normally is, except this time they don't have to set out a year to do it. Yeah. Like, I, I, there is there is no comp I can think of of coach who has done something only, like, very few have winning three national championships in any sport, being one of the best in the sport, 
leaving a program where it's not like things are on the downward trend. They made the Elite Eight this year, and you can argue they should have made the Final Four, maybe would have made the National Championship game, if not for the way that game ended, whatever. Like, the program is still rolling. Like, Baylor is still one of the best in the country, and she's leaving to go to a program to, yes, is in the state she grew up in, but is a rebuild job. She, Shehan, our good friend, made a great point on Twitter. Like, she's the most important coach in in Baylor history, regardless of sport, period. I understand what Scott Drew did. She won a title there in 2005. 2003 was a really rough time there at Baylor, right? Like, it's so shocking to see this. I I cannot think of a comp. The closest I can come to is Roy Williams leaving Kansas for North Carolina, but he didn't win three national championships at Kansas. He went back to North Carolina, but North Carolina was still good. It's not like they were a mediocre at best program. Like, this is... Well, and the difference there is he he went back to his alma mater. And everybody knew, you know, from when he took the Kansas job, that, like, one of the only jobs he'd leave it for would be to go back to UNC. And so, like, that was completely expected. We were surprised that he turned it down the first time. When he came, when they came back a second time, it was almost like, you know what? He already turned him down once, but I can't imagine that it's going to come open any, any, any time in the near future if he turned him down again. So it made perfect sense he was going to go. Like, if you had told me that, that Mulkey had left Baylor to go to an SEC school, I would have thought that Tennessee came calling. Because Tennessee's at least a name in women's basketball or, like, you know— Ariyama retired for some unforeseen reason and Connecticut comes like some huge, big blue blood program in women's basketball is what I would have thought it would take in to get her away from Baylor to go to another school uh, just because of what she had built that Baylor program into. So, like, I- I'm not necessarily sad to see her go just because I have, you know, my comments about my thoughts on Kim Mulkey are well are well documented on this podcast for some of the things that she said. Um, but it is extremely surprising to me. And I will say that I will probably mourn the loss of a uh, a, a villain in the Big 12 to root against. Hey, there is the Big 12 SEC challenge to look forward to. So you just have to be a fan of whoever plays them. Yeah, exactly. Anyone. Anyone that does, I will automatically be rooting. You know, <laughs> Kansas, mm-hmm. Kansas played LSU. Um, I don't think it was last season. I think it was the season before. And I had so much fun rooting against LSU when they were playing Kansas women. So... <laughs> I just say that, you know, they play a Big 12 school every single year and we can just root against them every single year. There you go. Works for me. <laughs> There's a former, um, she was a GA at Iowa State, Morgan Page. It's Marcus Page's sister. She just got hired as an assistant at Kansas. Wait, really? Yeah. She's How awesome. I missed that. Yeah, she's, she's really great. She's a great person. I love her to death. She was at. Um, How long was, ago was this? Uh, like in the past week. Oh, it just means I was too focused on. I was going to say you fun, and a, you have all sorts of other stuff going on. All my fun in, in, inside sources for the KU football search. So. Sorry. Yeah. The two year old is one room over and she keeps getting out of bed and getting oh, out of the room. But yeah, no, she's awesome. So you're, I'll, I'm really excited to have her to like group. I was just telling Andy that, um, so Marcus Page's sister, oh, yep, Morgan right was a GA at Iowa state and she's a super sweet girl she got hired this past week as an assistant at kansas yeah it was it was literally on monday mm-hmm. last week she rocks very cool sweet right. sorry i had to walk away for a second but we'll just keep rolling with this whatever um thanks for filling the airtime while i walked away oh oh this isn't getting edited out of the podcast <laughs> no i'm just gonna leave it in sure like, whatever props to mo page yeah 
hey, I, I love her. I hope everyone gets to like find people on staffs that they like because more people need to find reasons to pay attention to women's basketball. I'm going to be honest, too. The, the KU women's basketball team could really use a shot in the arm. So hopefully this coaching shakeup will uh, help out with that. Yeah. Hey, I mean, they had some great players on the court this year. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, there's a lot of Kansas fans who are eager for Kansas to find a new women's basketball head coach. So they, they need to make something happen here quickly or else Kansas will be looking for another head coach, not in football. So. <laughs> well, then, you know what? That's a perfect segue, Andy, because we need to talk about the Kansas football head coaching search. It's time. We, we you've been You haven't been here for a little while. Yeah, yeah I know. So I've been waiting. I'm not going to – I wasn't going to talk about it without you. So let, let's I talk about I appreciate that. <laughs> You're welcome. You have an AD in place. It does feel like they're going to hire a football coach. And, and I don't just mean Emma Jones to, to run the team. I, I, if the, Whoever it is that comes in would be smart to keep him. But it does feel like a new head coach, head coaching experience, someone is going to get hired to do it. The names on the list we hear the most so far, Jeff Monken, Army, Lance Leopold, or Leipold, however you want to pronounce it, at Buffalo. Uh, I have heard Chris Creighton in Eastern Michigan, which, yeah, whatever. Uh, and, of course, Willie Fritz at Tulane. Sorry, it took me a second. Um, <laughs> That's all right. I had to walk away. It threw off my mindset. What about a kid taking llama llama to bed? Um, those are the four names I have seen mentioned the most. Um, there could be others in there. I believe, was it the associate head coach, Kevin Kane or whatever, from Illinois' been connected to it and i'm kind of like okay whatever andy where do things stand as far as you know and and what are your thoughts as far as the current state yeah. of this search so so it's actually been a fairly fluid situation and actually um to my great surprise late last week i'm it's it's a little weird because i'm actually now officially one of those people that has inside sources which is mm. really weird to me Ooh. i know so I'm, I'm hearing things and it's been really interesting and i've been able to confirm with other people who are hearing things as well um, there are basically two people that are neck and neck. It in, is Jeff Munkin and Lance Le Leopold. Um, you know, they actually are doing in-person interviews. They, they already did all the Zoom interviews last week. They are, honestly, there's a very good chance that, that, that Kansas might have a new head coach, at least, you know, rumors leaked that he, that, 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 that the contract is in place by the time anyone actually hears this. Oh. So, oh, that um, would be annoying. Well, it would be a little annoying, but it's also one of those things where like they want to move quickly. They want to have someone in place for the spring game. The plan right now, from what I'm hearing, is that they want to have someone hired as the new head coach and on campus by Wednesday. Um, the idea being allowing them to come and take a look at the last few spring practices, be here for the spring game, evaluate the current coaching staff to see if there's any of the coaches they want to keep on staff. Um, you know, so it's it's one of those things. All the coaches right now are coaching for their jobs potentially because you know, Emmett Jones, as much as the staff or as, as, as much as the players love him, you know, he was given an opportunity. He actually had a meeting, had an interview, you know, impressed fairly well. But there's just other, you know, other coaches who have that head coaching pedigree there that were just as impressive, if not more impressive, um, you know, play or people that were in the search, I think, longer than a lot of people expected. Um, you know, there was actually Dan Dan Lanning, the uh, the Georgia DC, was actually in the running for a little while. Um, you know, has a lot of KC ties, but I, I just think the fact that he doesn't have any actual head coaching experience worth speaking of really kind of hurt him in that. Um, they have really 
prioritize people who have head coaching experience. So that's why Jeff Munkin, Lance Leopold, really Fritz was, was up there for a while. But from what I understand, he was not really that impressive in his interview that he had, and he fell off pretty quickly. So it's one of those things where, and, and again, you know, I'm hearing all of this kind of secondhanded, um, but everything that I've actually heard has not, you know, I, I've heard a few things, but I'm not willing to report typically because I want to have enough people to, to actually kind of back that up that, that turned out to be true. And so I, I, I trust that what I'm hearing is actually what's going on. Um, but it is one of those things. Chris Creighton was actually fairly high on the list for quite a while. Extremely impressive in his interview. Um, you know, so it's one of those things. Kevin Kane also was someone that I think a lot of people were surprised by. And again, was very, made it very far in the process. Um, there's a lot of coaches that are really interested in the position. And there's a lot of actually good coaches that are interested, which is a good sign for Kansas. So while they want to do their due diligence, they really want to get someone in quickly. They are going to go outside the program. The question just is the timing of it. Um, you know, I've heard a lot of national writers talk about how, well, you should just, you know, let Emmett Jones be there for the interim coach for the year and then hire during the traditional cycle. What I think everyone fails to realize, and I actually talked about this on my podcast last week, um, was, you know, it actually makes sense to hire someone now, even if you can't get them in before the spring game, because the most important thing for a brand new coach is to get that first recruiting class right. And if you wait till the normal hiring you know, period, you get three weeks or so to put a recruiting class together, which is going to hamstring any first year coach. So even if a coach is coming in now and can't get everything installed and this first year, you know, doesn't really go so well because he's not able to install the system that he wants quite as well. He gets a head start in the recruiting. He gets the opportunity to really, you know, use this as an interim year. And, and I honestly think that he's going to get treated that way. Whoever the coach actually ends up being is going to be treated that way as this is an interim year. This is an opportunity for him to just kind of sow the seeds, build that foundation, get that recruiting class going and get everybody re-excited again about what the, what the future can hold. So to kind of sum all that up, hire is going to happen really soon. Hopefully it's before the spring game because they want to use that opportunity to evaluate people. But it is going to happen. You know, we will have a new coach here in Lawrence very, very shortly. And it is going to be somebody outside the program currently. I mean, it makes sense. From a recruiting standpoint, it's not just that they would come in and have their first year class not be very good. If, if Emmett Jones and everybody knows that Emmett Jones is a fill-in, how does that affect this year's recruiting class? It would set you far, so far back in recruiting that the, so much of the progress that Les Miles made on this roster and rebuilding it would be lost. And that's not a good situation. Plus, if you turn all these guys down now and say, we're, we're going to talk to you next year, how many of them are still as eager to come back, understanding that situation? Like, I think it is a more appealing job now than if you wait another year. And what happens if somebody like Lance Leipold gets taken by uh, another school, right? Right. Or Jeff Monken. So I think Kansas is in a unique spot where this is a desirable job. It is a Power 5 job. It has money. Okay, it's in the Big 12. It's a, it's a good job that if you win, and this is the other thing that I, we talk about this with other schools where they are a basketball school, Kentucky, if you have success at a place like Kansas, realistically, to me, Kansas, Kentucky, there's a similarity. If you could come into Kansas and win eight games on a regular basis a year, you're not going anywhere. It's a basketball school. As long as basketball is succeeding, football just needs to be good. Like, go to bowl games. And I think, for the most part, Kansas fan base will be perfectly happy knowing they're not god-awful anymore and have success enough to go to a bowl game. 
play in bowl games and maybe win eight games in a season. Like, I think that's a realistic possibility. And it's a lot easier, I think, in Kentucky. And it's not a shot at the SEC. That's more in the SEC East. And, you know, you play eight conference games, da 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 Then it is the Big 12 with a round robin where you get to play everybody and you only get three non-conference games. But that's appealing to certain coaches. And that's okay. So I'm, I, I look, I get all coaches are wired with ego. That makes a lot more sense to me than it does a lot of coaches who be like, no, I want to go work in a national championship. And no offense, you're not winning a national championship at Kansas. It's not going to happen. Not in football. You can in basketball. You have. Uh-huh. Uh, but not in football. But it's a good job. It, it, it is. And so, uh, look, Monken, Leipold, either one, I can see having success there. Both have had success. I, I like Monken. People who are all hung up on the the offense, like, he's not going to run that exact same thing. No, it's he's not, not going to run the triple option. He's already come out basically and said that. There will be not elements publicly, of the option. But- they're right. gonna they're gonna build focus on building the offensive line, and the defensive line, which is the thing what you have to do to win in a place like Kansas. We've had this conversation with Parker, or at least yep. I've had this conversation with Parker. I can't remember if I have. To, you know what? Yeah, I have conversations. I was, with I was on that one too. Okay, at least fine. I was for for one of them. <laughs> um, and look, you can poo poo winning a division three all you want. The du- Leipold won six national championships in eight seasons as the head coach of Wisconsin Whitewater. It's division. You need it. Don't care. No, he also has Buffalo. Yeah, I mean, this has been the most successful stretch for Buffalo in their Ever. history. Like, right. the guy knows how to win. He is a program builder. He is a successful head coach. He's done it for a long time. That's the other thing. These guys have been winning for, for a long time at their schools. This isn't like you got a guy that had one great season and has been garbage the rest of the time. But let's bring him in. Okay. These guys have had long-term success. They have, they have plenty of data. Okay. If you want success, plenty of data here to show that they know how to win and run a successful football program. Either one I think would be a good hire. I would prefer Monken and lean Monken, but I think Kansas fans should be pretty happy whichever whichever one they land with, especially if it's one of these two. Yeah. You know, the other thing that I've heard a lot of people talk about, especially in, you know, relation to keeping Emma Jones on the interim tag is that, you know, you worry about a whole bunch of people leaving. I think th- there's been a lot of stories coming out from from Kansas beat writers, you know, Jesse Newell and Scott Chasen especially, who, who have been talking with the players. And a lot of the players are, you know, they came with the idea of building Kansas. The staff that's in place right now is still the same staff that Les Miles put together. They still have that same goal. And even though they realize that, you know, Emmett Jones is not going to be the guy probably who's going to be leading it, there's still a very good chance that Emma Jones is going to be on staff, but a lot of these guys that recruited them are going to still be on staff in some capacity, you know, and they still have an opportunity with whoever the new coach is to do that main goal, which was to rebuild Kansas. It wasn't to come, you know, like coming to play for less miles and coming to play for some of these assistant coaches was part of the deal, but the main selling point, and, and this I think is credit to less miles that like to a man, almost the guys have said that, the main point that Les Miles sold them on wasn't coming to play for him. It was coming to make a difference at Kansas and to rebuild the Kansas program. And if you can do that in a, in the way that Les Miles wanted you to do, even if he's not there, they're still going to have that legacy of being the guys that came and got the program turned around. So that vision is still there for them. It's just a matter of who do they hire? Can he come in and keep that same message going? I still think it's possible to do, especially with the way that, that, that Goff has been you know, approaching this and kind of he's been up front with the players. He's been talking with the players quite a bit to let them know what's going on. They didn't let this leak out to the media first. They actually went and talked to the players first before they, you know, 
announced they were doing a national coaching search. So like there's been a lot of stuff from everything that I've heard that they have done to make sure that the players are still on board with what they're doing and how they're going to go about doing it. So it's, it's about as perfect a situation as you can hope to have at this point right now. Now it's just a matter of who they can get from here and how well they can get things turned around and get everything kind of jump started to go into the next season. Overload on Thursday when we have our episode to be like, all right, Andy's back because we got to talk about Kansas' new <laughs> hire, which just go ahead and circle your Wednesday night for me just because I might have to do that. Um, sticking with football, but we're going to kind of correct course here for a minute. We started a few or a month or so ago that we each had our own FCS team that we were going to be fans of. These were our, these were our FCS teams to follow. We've done a, frankly, it's a piss about poor, time we piss poor job. You know what? You haven't even been on the show a couple times, so I don't want to hear it. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want anybody <laughs> coming at me. I'm the only one who shows up to this thing every week. Da, 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 da. Um, we have officially had the first round of the FCS playoffs, and all three of our teams made it into the playoffs: North Dakota State, James Madison, and Delaware. And guess what, folks? North Dakota State, James Madison, and Delaware all won their first round games thanks to home field magic. They have all moved on to the playoff to the second round. And are one win away from the semifinals. North Dakota State knocking off Eastern Washington 42 20. There's a there's a nice win. We'll now face number two overall seed, Sam Houston. Uh James Madison, the number three seed overall, getting a nice close win over VMI 31 to 24. And then we'll now face North Dakota. Man, could we get North Dakota State, North Dakota, and South Dakota State all like in the semifinals? That would be crazy. Uh <laughs> Andy, your Delaware Blue Hens uh, got their 19-10 to win over Sacred Heart. No, that is not the hospital uh, from Scrubs. Uh, they are uh, they are now going to play the number four overall seed in Jacksonville State. The top four seeds all advanced. Whew. All have advanced. This is fun. I This is kind of neat. It's fun. The home field magic is holding strong that these three teams of ours have advanced. You guys have any? Uh, you, you want to share any pride that you have in your uh, your adopted FCS programs? Yeah, I mean it was it was definitely something. I was watching that that Delaware game late because I I had misread uh, what the actual t- start time was, so I actually tuned in like right at the end of the first half and realized it was a lot closer than I thought it was going to be, given the fact that you know I thought that Delaware was going to stomp on Sacred Heart this week. Um, you know, but. I'm definitely ready to kind of see them make a run here and, you know, face one of these other home field teams in the championship. So it'll be good. I'm excited for any excuse to keep shopping home field merch. So go team as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) I'm going to make a prediction, Jamie. I'm feeling a made semifinal matchup between your James Madison program and my North Dakota State. I think it's coming. I don't know. North Dakota State's not their normal self. Obviously, their quarterback left early. Um, lost their coaching staff, you know, a couple of years ago. So it's it, they're not the same as they have been. But I, I feel a North Dakota State-James Madison semifinal matchup with a shot at the championship game. I feel that coming. I feel like that's it's bound to happen because home field magic, I'm doing the finger thing. Demands it. Demand. It, it, it happens as, as – uh, as our good friend Connor from Homefield over there says, basically it's it's Homefield magic if it if it helps, and it's there's nothing to do with Homefield if it doesn't. So that's, <laughs> that's pretty much how it works. Speaking of Homefield, uh, ran a poll this week on Twitter on the Ten Twelve Podcast Twitter account. It's at Ten Twelve Podcast T in the number twelve word podcast. Since there are now four schools in the Big Twelve on Homefield with Baylor, Iowa State, Texas Tech, and uh, oh Iowa State. Did I say Iowa State? Did I say Baylor. 
Baylor, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, Texas Tech. Okay. Forgive me. You know, I I, I got a two-year-old. It's a Sunday night. It is a Sunday. It's been a yeah, long week. Yeah, that's a likely excuse. Uh, <laughs> in our poll, Oklahoma State came in number one. I can't, first off, let me just say, I can't believe Oklahoma State. I can't believe Iowa State lost a poll that involved at Iowa State on social media anywhere. Like they finished second, but OSU won with 37%. Iowa State was second with 33.9%, which is a weirdly specific number. Uh, I Iowa had State a busy week, so I didn't even see it, so it's my fault. I didn't I, vote, nor probably. signal boost it. Iowa State no, I'm just going to blame it on recency bias. Perhaps. Iowa State lost a poll on Twitter, that's all I'm going to say. But those are the four schools that are currently available on home field apparel. So if you haven't gone there yet, if you haven't checked the amazing lineup of Oklahoma State gear that is there, I have a few times. If you haven't checked out the fantastic line of Texas Tech shirts, the Flying Tortilla is still pretty awesome. If you haven't checked out the great selection of Baylor shirts, if you're sad Baylor fans about Kim Mulkey leaving, there are. You can relive the glory days with the Lady Bears basketball champs tee, which is a it's a good shirt. It's a nice shirt. I, I appreciate that shirt. It really is. Uh, and of course, if you want to support the men's, they've got the cutting down the net shirt. And of course, Iowa State, with their selection of Iowa State gear, that is darn good. It's marching side. Like, if you're an Iowa State fan and you don't have a marching side shirt, are you an Iowa State fan? I mean, I know another shirt's are in. No, there is a black sweater. No, I think that's charcoal gray. It's, it's not actually charcoal. black. Yeah, I don't think there's no black here. I'm not sure anybody can wear these anymore. Look, so that's the, if I have a marching side shirt, then every self-respecting Iowa State fan should have a marching tie shirt. I agree. Yeah. I have a marching tie shirt. And it's a good shirt. I like my shirt. My daughter likes my shirt. Uh, yeah. It's, so if it's you fantastic. haven't bought your marching tie, if you haven't bought anything from Homefield Apparel yet, what are you doing? Go to homefieldapparel.com. Homefieldapparel, one word, dot com. Pick out a couple things. Marching tie, Pistol Pete, uh, a bear, Yosemite Sam. Actually, the flying tortilla. You have to get the flying tortilla shirt. Like, I want the flying tortilla shirt. Like, I understand the tortillas are nasty when they throw them, but it's still, it's got wings on it. Pick That's out a couple of shorter, shirts. For sure. So. Pick out a couple of shirts. Use the promo code 1012. T-E-N-1-2. Get 20% off your first order. Just a reminder, all orders to $70 or more get free shipping. And I, you're not going to go there and buy one shirt. Unless you're just an insane person. You can buy a crew neck sweater, a hoodie. Uh, maybe you find some other things from the more than 100 schools that they have. These next few weeks, they're going to be releasing new shirts for a ver- just a number of schools that they already have available. Like, they're going to put out a new Memphis shirt, and I'm very excited for what that is because I want to buy a Memphis shirt because I live close to Memphis, and I like Memphis. I just kind of do. I don't know why, but I kind of like it, even though they're tigers and it's kind of lame because it's just a, a, everyone has that mascot. I'm not looking at anything from the SEC, so pff, all of you. Not even you, Missouri, even though if you're rejoining the Big 12 in wrestling and we're happy to have you and you're better off here than you are in the MAC, but I'm still not going to buy any of your stuff. So technically you're kind of a Big 12 school again, but only like 116th Big 12 since you only have one sport that's currently going to be a Big 12 sport. Anyway, rant about Missouri joining the Big 12 in wrestling over. Homefield Apparel, promo code 1012, 20% off your first order. Be rocking the most comfortable, awesome, vintage college sports apparel there is. Okay, I want to wrap up on this. There was an interesting discussion on the Going for Two podcast. It's the podcast associated with Extra Points newsletter run by Matt Brown. The podcast is, is Matt Brown and Brian Fisher. Uh, and they were talking about uh, a variety of deals, future of the Pac-12, ACC TV deals, which schools from each – picking a school from each conference that could go independent. 
you'd be shocked to know it was Texas in the Big 12. But they, they have this discussion about the Big 12 and partnering potentially with the Pac-12 as opposed to combining in the future or partnering with the ACC. Because obviously, you know, realignment is – the discussion is going to happen every year. The playoffs going to expand. TV contract deals are going to come to an end. Realignment will probably happen, maybe happen. But it's going to be very different this time. And, and can I just say I, – I, I'm just going to say this joke verbally because I'll use it on Twitter at some point. I will know the world is back to the way it's supposed to be when I hear someone ask Bob Bowlesby about realignment at Big 12 Media Days this summer. I will know that the world is right again and we are all back on track. Well, um, nature is healing. Nature is healing. <laughs> right, right. Thank you. Uh, but, but the conversation was, you know, let's say they don't – there's no realignment. Let's say that the, the conference is kind of stand pat. Now, I, I'm going to set that aside because I, whatever. If you were to do a partnership, because it's not about TV markets, it's just about brands, right? It's about how many eyeballs can you draw? And everyone's falling behind the SEC and the Big, 12, the Big 10, and it's only going to fall behind further when these new TV rights deals. Because look, the, the SEC's championship game, which is their deal with CBS – and their championship game, which is on CBS, that contract's going to end. They don't make anything from CBS from that, like hardly anything. They're about to make buku's off the SEC championship game and that one game a week from somebody else. Big Ten makes tons of money. He's going to keep making more money. The ACC is currently in a deal with ESPN. It's not really going to get any better for them. They're falling behind. Like the ACC is almost to fall, ready to fall behind the Pac-12 in what they hand out to each of their schools. We all rip on the Pac-12 for how crappy they're privately owned TV network is and they don't make any money, they're about to surpass the ACC per school. The Big 12 is in third, and that's great, but you're still going to be following further and further behind the SEC and the Big 10. So if you are the Big 12, unless you're going to add a whole bunch of schools that are going to draw a whole lot of dollar bills, do you do a TV partnership with the Pac-12 or the ACC? So my question to you guys today, and you can come at this from men's Basketball, women's basketball, football, all these different things because I all think they all matter even though football is the driving force behind this. Which conference do you think would make a better media partner for the Big 12? The Pac-12 or the ACC? Jamie, you can go first if you want. What part of my expression made you think that I had a good answer to go first? <laughs> I just, <laughs> I'm just so used to talking first and I wanted to give you the opportunity if you really wanted to. No. Philip, not, not cutting that out question, either. Not cutting that out either. Yeah, no, no, definitely not. My my only question on this, I, I mean, I, I would assume that this sort of partnership is going to include some non-conference scheduling, um, which, you know, I mean, the the Big Twelve already does so many different like conference, uh, I guess, alliances uh, in terms of scheduling for non-conference in basketball, anyway. I don't think it'd be a big deal to add another one with whatever whatever conference this is. I mean, they already do something with the Pac-12, but I don't know how how much that is going to like you know grease the skids for this sort of thing. I honestly think though that in terms of if you're looking for an opportunity to have the biggest impact, that is probably the ACC because in football, you know, you're going to be you're going to be building like think about this from the Big 12 standpoint. Both of those conferences basically have one national brand. There's USC in the Pac-12. There's Clemson in the ACC. Florida State, I think, is as close as you get to another one. And then Oregon in the Pac-12 is another one. So, like, in terms of national brands, you're you're basically on an even footing. 
Um, football wise, I don't I don't think that there's either one that kind of puts you ahead of the other. Basketball, I think, is where it really comes down to, and it's the fact that the ACC is one of the premier basketball conferences. Um, you know, that's where like ESPN and everyone else like fawns all over themselves to get ACC on the on the you know on the airwaves there, and so I think that's where you're going to be able to have the opportunity to make the most money is by going with the ACC because I, I see it being comparable in football. And, and I think that basketball, men's men's basketball pushes it further ahead. I also just think with all the other sports, it's going to be a lot easier, I think, especially since West Virginia is already on the East Coast. Like, I can just imagine West Virginia mutinying if they have to all of a sudden, you know, go into some sort of scheduling agreement with a bunch of West Coast teams because they're already kind of out of the footprint of the Big 12. If you force them to go all the way over to the West Coast three time zones away, it's going to get even worse for them. It's going to make it even harder for them. I like. I just think it makes the most sense geographically. It makes the most sense anyway with where most of the TV dollars are going. Um, yes, the Pac-12 has made some inroads recently, but I also, <laughs> it's kind of funny because I think that most of that, like um, this last NCAA tournament is a big driver, I think, into the most recent Pac-12 like jump in the, in their distributions because they're going to get a ton of money from all the teams that made it really, really far in the NCAA tournament this year. Um, like, I don't know how, how much of a sustained thing it's going to be for the Pac-12 jumping up just because of the way that that conference has been mis- mismanaged. So I, I think that ACC is the no-brainer there, but maybe I'm wrong. Like, maybe someone has another point that I'm just not thinking of. No, I agree. I think that the ACC is a better match. Um, the Pac-12, obviously, if, if you want to look at this past year, like you said, had a, had a significant success in the postseason, both for men's and women's, but I don't know how sustained that's going to be. And obviously so much of the financial impact comes down to football. And so um, absolutely agreed that if there's any kind of scheduling agreement, it's kind of a mess to get over to the coast. Um, consistent sort of basis. Um, and yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just, I just feel uh, more of more of a match with the ACC just as far as proximity, as far as as kind of working together in that capacity. But I don't have a lot of good insight. That's all I got. My initial answer was the Pac-12. Because you hear all these conversations all the time when you talk about the Big Twelve. You know, they almost. The Pac-12 almost rated the Big 12, and if if when this stuff comes open, if you're going to swipe Pac, you know, Power Five teams for the for the Big 12, you should go steal the Arizonas. There was the pitch to just get USC. It's always the conversation has always been about the Big 12, and the Pac-12, because those are the two conferences viewed as the most behind. The uh, the Big 12 is going to, you know, every time someone talks about the Big 12 for years, the Big 12 is going to fall apart. It's, it's no way it's going to last. They're going to the next time the TV rights deals come off, Oklahoma's going to the Big Ten, and Texas is going to go to bed, and, and it's, it's going to implode. And I've always been like, eh, we'll see. And the Pac-12's really been the, like, like the Big 12 almost, to me, gets that much conversation because at least they're mildly relevant. The Pac-12 hasn't been relevant outside of, you know, Oregon making the, the playoff one year and Washington make it one year. And, you know, that was, like, the first two years, and they haven't been back since, and that's all that matters in football and whatever. They're not great in basketball. They're great in a lot of other Olympic sports. They're good in women's basketball. They're good in in golf. They're good in baseball. Like those are all great, but football is the is the driving force. And and while the ACC outside of Clemson is fine, I mean, you get it. it it's kind of like the Big Twelve. I mean, we may we keep doing the whole like conference championship game joke of like it's this team 
Clemson or Oklahoma versus a different team every single year. And we got the whole coastal run of all seven teams in a row. And then we had Notre Dame. And so it was, you know, magic. It's almost like home field magic. Um, but I think the ACC does make the most sense. I, I get that they're 14 teams. But you, the, the West Virginia point is the one that sticks out to me. And I think that's, that's the thing that helps kind of sway me over to the ACC side of having geographical matchups. And I don't know that you're going to do – I don't know that it should, should affect scheduling. Like I don't know that that means you have to have a Big 12 ACC challenge. You've already – basketball's already got SEC and Big East. Football, I don't think that's going to matter because everyone's got games scheduled out until, you know, my, my daughter's going to be – married and having, in college in yeah. having grandkids of her own like good grief like i'll be on my deathbed oh the game has finally arrived oh <laughs> i just like we need to clip that philip seriously <laughs> i i think the acc is widely applicable doesn't sound like it makes the most sense because of you know it's the, it's the it's the east coast the middle of the country but i mean we're talking coasts here and i think the acc has more respect I think you could do a package deal that make a lot of sense. And I think you could do some scheduling alliances in non-football sports. I think you're going to have too hard in football. I don't think men's basketball makes sense, but you could do it in the, in the women's basketball. You could do it in baseball and things like that if that's necessary. I don't know that it really matters that you have to, but I think from a standpoint of, of selling the product, the ACC's best team makes the playoff every year. That carries more weight than USC, who's fine, and Oregon, who's a – a bigger brand than people want to give them credit for. We all know who Oregon is. You see the O, you know who Oregon is. That tells you how big that brand has become. But I think I think the ACC is the answer. I think West Virginia fans would be happy. Well, let's just give a tell you what, ACC table, we'll just give you West Virginia. You'd all be you, we they would be happier there. They would. I love them. They're they are the, the crazy drunk uncle who shows up to every Can we there. can we just trade them for Louisville? Just like here, you have West Virginia, we'll take Louisville. Can I? Can we just have? Can we just give them? Do we have to have Louisville? Like I like Louisville, but well, it'd be fun. Well, well I, I think we want at least ten teams. I don't think we want no, to go no. down to nine. No, I want I want eleven, but we've already done that bit. We don't need to talk about how many yeah, teams we exactly. should expand to today. Um, but no, to to your point, Philip. Just just one final thing that kind of jumped out. You know, Big Twelve and Pac Twelve are have been locked in this kind of eternal death struggle of who's who's going to be like the last survivor. You know, for the best four big conferences and so like i i definitely agree it's much more likely that one of them poaches teams from the other than they enter some sort of alliance to try to overtake the acc because the acc i think just has the advantages built in the fact that they're on the east coast they're in a bunch of big you know eastern markets um and and the fact that they are kind of like you know they're like the the old money of college basketball and so they're not they're never going to go away because they're entrenched in the in into espn and all their tv contracts and as much as we all hate it, like Duke, North Carolina and basketball is a staple that everybody is always going to talk about, no matter how much we think it's overrated. So I would rather get kind of on that train and, you know, be able to benefit off that even just, you know, tangentially um, than try to team up with another conference who is routinely talked about as one of those conferences is just fighting for survival. I would say partnering with the Pac-12 is like bringing in Houston for expansion talk. The only person that I think the Pac-12 gets more benefit out of that than the Big 12 does. Like you're almost doing the Pac-12 a favor. Well, I feel like partnering with the ACC benefits both sides a lot more. 
Well, it's so, almost like when when Conference USA and I think the Mountain West were talking about making that super conference of like 24 teams that was going to have like an Eastern division and a Western division that would basically be two separate conferences that would have a title game, like coming from each of their, you know, like conference champions. Like It's that sort of thing. If you were to try to partner up with the with the Pac-12, it's two conferences that are struggling, trying to find some way to keep each other alive. And it's probably not going to work. Conference USA sucks now. Not good. It's not good. Sunbelt's more fun than Conference USA. The conference doesn't make any sense. Just like, we got teams all over the country. USA, our conference name. Done. That's enough USA bashing. Or conference USA. CUSA? CUSA? Yep. Yep. All right. All right. We're getting derailed, and I got to get out of here. So. All right. Uh, <laughs> do everybody, if Andy, get out of here. Uh, we thank you very much, as always. Go follow Andy on Twitter at AndyMitts12, the M-I-T-T-S, for more great Kansas info. Very excited to see what happens this week. Of course, follow Jamie as well at J Styes, J S T E Y Z. Follow us at 1012 Podcast D in the number 12 word podcast. This is all Twitter. You can also follow us on the gram at 1012 Pod. I promise I'm going to post on Instagram again. It's been a couple of weeks and I've been busy. And I promise I'm going to do something this week, even if it's an audio clip from the show. Would you better listen to you? Like, but I already heard that. Why do I want to listen to it again? I'll figure something out. Subscribe, rate, review we appreciate you we will be back on thursday with i don't know what but we'll have it figured out by then and we'll talk to you then Podcast Network.